Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So, the first thing to do is to pray. <laughs> it's a series on prayer. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to gather and to reflect on your word and to open our hearts and our ears to your voice. I pray, Lord, that um, the things that I say, um, that they would come from you, Lord, and that they wouldn't come from me because my words don't have the power that your words do. Um, And we just open our hearts, Lord, for what you have to say. Help me, Lord Jesus, to listen to you carefully and to share those, those words carefully. Um, and I pray, Father, that, uh, yeah, that we will leave here equipped to pray and talk with you more and more. Amen. Amen. So um, we've done a series of prayer, as Nick said, it's been a really good one. And we've been talking about various people in the Bible who prayed, and we're hoping to, to learn something from them. So I've got um, Hannah this morning. Um, so we're going to read from Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 1. So I'll read the story and then we'll talk about it. Um, There was a certain man from Ramathan, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name name was Elikanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, and the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up to his from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elikana to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penaniah and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her, This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elikana, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And then she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if only you will look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. 
I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of the great, my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back home, back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, Samuel saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So in ancient Israel, barrenness was a really kind of a life and death issue. And um, because Hannah didn't have a, a son, she was considered a failure and a disgrace to her, her family and her, her clan. Um, and she also, in her old age, because she didn't have children, she would be reliant on other people's charity to survive. So not having a child was a really, really significant thing. Um, so this prayer comes out of a, a place of desperation a little bit. So I've sort of subtitled my, my, my preach this morning, God is not a vending machine. Um, and if we think about a vending machine, a vending machine is something that you push the right buttons, pay the right price, and you get exactly what you want. So when we treat God like a vending machine, we go to him, we say the right words, we give up the right things, and we expect to get exactly what we want. But what I'm going to present to you today, I think we need to approach God differently because God is not a vending machine. So it's interesting because Hannah, she was coming out of a place of desperation and she came year after year. Now, it's quite interesting that it's almost emphasized in this passage that it says two times, year after year. So this is a prayer, and she, a, a, an affliction that she'd been wrestling with for a long time. And I, I'm sure this isn't the first time she prayed about it. But what happened between this, this time when she prayed, going from being downcast in anguish, weeping bitterly, to going out in peace. It says, after she, Eli had told her, go in peace, she was no longer downcast. And I want to just explore this a little bit. She was provoked by Penaniah and Elikana, both of them, because Elikana was like, he was almost belittling her need, saying, am I not better than ten sons? And Penaniah was just being a little bit mean-spirited. Mean really just rubbing her face in the fact that she had this need that she was praying for and desperately wanted, but she didn't have it. And so <laughs> this made her so upset. Her emotions were so fraught, perhaps frustration, anger, anguish, it says, and it's a very strong word, anguish. The, the, um, the Hebrew word is, 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 is a very powerful emotional response. Um, she appeared drunk, before Eli when she was, she was um, praying to God. And in a sense, she, 
the prayer that she prays at first glance looks like a bargain. It looks like, God, if you give me this, then I'll do that. But it, I think it's a bit deeper than that. And um, I think it's, it almost looks like she's pushing the right buttons, paying the right price, and getting exactly what she wants. But I think she got a huge revelation of who God was. And that was what makes this not a bargain, but a sacrifice. So she came from a position of anguish. Now, a position of anguish for Hannah was a place of barrenness. And I think all of us have or have had a, something that we've, we've really wanted, something that, that perhaps it's a, a relationship, perhaps it's a, um, a job, perhaps it's a family. It could be anything. But it's something, and it's not necessarily a bad thing either. For Hannah, a child would have been a good thing. But she, was, she didn't have it. And for her, it was such, wow, you know, she wept bitterly. And she was praying, praying, praying. And somehow, that particular day, she stood up. She'd had enough. And there was some, something there that she stood up. And she went and she prayed. She went to the doorpost where, where Eli was which is significant, and she poured out her soul to the Lord. Now, in Pentecostal circles, we often talk about prayer and coming to God with expectation. And I think sometimes that's necessary, but sometimes that can be a little bit like coming to, coming to a vending machine. Come with expectation and you'll get exactly what you want. I think Hannah came with something more powerful than expectation. She came with honesty. And she poured out her soul. Sometimes we think God is won't want to hear all our Meh. but if if david teaches us anything just tell god everything pour it all out his his um, some of his psalms are quite um <laughs> quite full on but hannah poured out her soul and i would encourage you when you're praying particularly for things that are are really hard things deep things things that make you upset and angry Pour it out to the Lord. Pour it out. Now, she came to the doorpost of the house of the Lord. She, she, she knew that only God could help her. And in that moment, she came to the giver for the giver, not the gift. Because she said in her, in her prayer, if you give me a son... I know you are a giver. You can give me a son. But if you give me a son, you can have him back. Because I know that you're the giver, and I'm coming to the giver, not for the gift. And I think there's something really, really powerful there. And for some of us, those things, those needs, those things that we don't have, they can be They can be can be like chains around us. We're bound by them. We cannot live our lives and flourish and live in the freedom and the joy that God has, has, has given us. And Hannah was like that. She, was, she, was, she couldn't enjoy anything. She couldn't eat at the celebration. When I've, when I've spoken about Hannah before, this is like Christmas. She couldn't eat. She couldn't enjoy it. She couldn't flourish. 
This thing that she wanted was, was holding her down. And she needed to come to the place where she could let it go. She needed to be delivered from that thing. Because I think she got a revelation that God is a God of resurrection. And the reason I say that is because she prays a prayer years later when she brings Samuel to, 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 the, to, to Eli and to give him, <laughs> to give her, her promise, you know. She, she gives her son to the, the priest to raise him, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. But um, she prays this prayer, and it's 1 Samuel 2. So this is, this is from a posture of worship she prays this. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak, speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is a very powerful prayer, and it says something about God. And I think this is the revelation she got in that moment when Eli said, go in peace. She realized that God is a God of resurrection. A God who knows, verse 3 says, he knows. It's also a God whose strength is so much bigger than ours, that our own strength is futile, verse 4. And he brings bounty out of barrenness. So the pleasure of, of being heard is that there is bounty out of that barrenness, verse 5. He is a God of resurrection, verse 6, and, and reversals, verse 7 and 8. He is a God who restores. And it's interesting because this, this is before the, there were kings in Israel. Her son Samuel, who she was giving to, to the Lord at, the temple, at, um, at Shiloh at the time, would anoint the first two kings of Israel. So this is before the kings. And she says at the end of her prayer, he will give strength to his king. 
and exalt the horn of his anointed. Which king is she talking about? I don't think she's talking about Saul. I don't think she's talking about David even. I think she's talking about Jesus. Because Jesus also, like Hannah, came from a position of anguish. Jesus came willingly, and he wrestled with God in Gethsemane, and he prayed a prayer in anguish. Take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's the very prayer that he has taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer that we pray often is the same prayer, the prayer that Christ prayed in anguish. And in doing so, he took our anguish. Now, it's a very interesting passage in Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 from verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That prayer of anguish from Christ opened up that w the way that we can actually enter in. So, he opened that way. He's, he, he took our pain, our shame, our guilt, our disgrace, our failures, our anguish, so that we can have life in him to know God the Father. Hannah had to pray at the doorposts because she couldn't go in. But Jesus is that door. He's opened that way. We can now go in, because of his death, to the Father and take whatever pain, request, prayer to him. Go directly to the giver. And the wonderful thing about going directly to the giver is falling more in love with him and being freed from the thing that we're about to ask for. Because when we go to the giver, we need to lay that thing down at the foot of the cross. And in laying it down, we have to be prepared for it to die. Sometimes, the answers to our prayer is no. God is not a vending machine. If the treat doesn't come out the box, God is not broken. The thing is, when we lay something down at the cross, when we submit our prayers to him, prepared to let them die, we are planting a seed. Christ says, a seed falls to the ground. It has to die before it will bear fruit. And sometimes what comes out of the ground, the fruit doesn't necessarily look like what we, we wanted it to look like. 
because God is working many strands together. There was a reason he wanted Samuel to be born that year. There was a reason he wanted Samuel to be in Eli's house. He had greater plans and purposes than Hannah's desire. And Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord, planted a seed in the ground, which birthed something much, much bigger than she ever imagined or even prayed. And in the same way, when we pour our souls out to the Lord and we submit our requests to him, he can bring something to life that is bigger, more wonderful, more powerful, better than you could ask or imagine. But you have to put it in the ground first. You have to bury it in a tomb. Because God is a resurrecting God. He brings life. And sometimes, sometimes more often than not, actually, he answers that prayer. Because together with being an almighty creator who's weaving the strands of history together, he's a loving father. And he promises us this, that by pouring out our souls and, and living and abiding in him, John 15 verse 7 says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it's this, it's this conundrum, it's this mystery. Jesus says, ask and it'll be done for you. But we almost got to ask and believe in a resurrecting God, not necessarily knowing exactly what the answer is going to be and how he will answer that prayer. I've been reading this book, and I haven't come to the end of it yet. I'm not even that very far through it, but I've been challenged. Um, Intercessor by Rhys Howells. And this is a man who prays. So I encourage you, if you want to know about a man who prays, read this one. And he was given um, John 15, verse 7. And I'm just going to read you a portion of this book. The Spirit gave him John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. It would all depend on his abiding. As this abiding was to take such a central place in his future life of intercession, it is important to see what the Holy Spirit taught Mr. Howells about it. This key text, John 15 verse 7, makes it plain that the promise is unlimited, but its fulfillment depends on the abiding. That is why in all cases of intercession, Mr. Howells constantly spoke of guarding his place of abiding. The scriptural key to abiding is 1 John 2 verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. In other words, it meant being willing for the Holy Spirit to live through, the li live through him the life the Savior would have lived if he had been in his place. The way Mr. Howells maintained his abiding was by spending a set time of waiting upon God every day during the period in which the intercession lasted. The Holy Spirit would then speak to him through the word, 
revealing any standard that he was to come up to, particularly in the laws of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. Any command the Spirit gave him, he must fulfill, because the way of abiding is in keeping of his commandments. John 15, verse 10. The Spirit would also search his heart and throw light on his daily life, revealing any motives or actions that needed confession and cleansing in the blood. He continues a little further. The necessity for abiding was seen in that same chapter, John 15. The life is in the vine. As the branch remains united to it by abiding in it, that life of the vine produces the fruit through the branch. In other words, the power is in Christ. As the intercessor remains united to him by abiding in him, his power operates through the intercessor and accomplishes what needs to be done. So the key to prayer, I mean, this is, this is about intercession, praying for others, but I think the key for any prayer is pray what the Spirit directs. If you're abiding with Christ, the Spirit will prompt you how to pray, and he will show you. Jesus said the, the, um, that the Spirit would teach us and reveal to us and remind us all the things that he's taught us. Pray the Scriptures. Get in the Word of God and pray those things, because you know God has already spoken them. <laughs> um, and then walk as Jesus walked. If you're in a situation, do the thing that Jesus would have done. And that really just boils down to loving abundantly. Um, and sometimes his love was speaking the truth. <laughs> um, so the purpose of our prayers shouldn't be the short-term boost like a chocolate bar from a vending machine, but a sustaining power source to tap into who God is, laying your request down at the cross to die and to hold fast to who God is, the God who resurrects from the dead. And this is exactly the challenge that Abraham faced with, with Isaac. And it's interesting, he, was, he brought the thing that was promised the very thing that he, he'd, he'd pinned all his hopes on, God said, give him to me. And Abraham took his son. And it's, it's very visceral and quite, quite appalling, the whole idea of, of taking his son to kill him. But he believed in a God who was a resurrecting God. Again, Hebrews 11, 11 verse 17 to 18. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise, promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So my encouragement to you is to pour out your soul to the Lord because he's a God who hears and he knows. 1 John 15, sorry, 1 John 5, verse 4, 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we, know that we have what we have asked of him. So Lord Jesus, teach us to pray.
Reveal to us who you are. And work the power that raised Christ from the dead in and through us. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.